Hey, this is the Never Heard of It podcast. I'm Sean Harwell. And I'm Craig Moorhead. And Never Heard of It is the podcast where we give you a spoiler-filled discussion on a movie of the week that one of us has never seen, the other one maybe has only just heard of, and we try and give you our take on that. Give us a shout-out on Twitter at Never Podcast. Let us know if there's a movie you'd like us to see, and you can also reach us at NeverHeardPodcast.com. So, Craig, let's get started, yeah? Let's do it. This week, we watched a movie called Starred Up, and last week I asked you if you were familiar with this, and I believe you said you had no clue what it was. I had not heard of it at all once I saw the poster. I had no clue what it was. Uh, in fact, when you first said Starred Up, what I thought of, I thought you said Startup, and I, I thought it was going to be sort of a, I don't know, documentary on some you know sort of web-based company. Right. Bunch of whippersnappers in Brooklyn trying to do something, maybe. But then, yeah, so obviously I was completely, completely out of the ballpark. I'm glad that uh, you went into it completely blind. We'll get to that in a second. But I'm going to hit you up with this synopsis here, straight from Trebekah Film's website. They distributed it in North America. 19-year-old Eric, arrogant and ultra-violent, is prematurely transferred to the same adult prison facility as his estranged father. As his explosive temper quickly finds him enemies in both prison authorities and fellow inmates, and his already volatile relationship with his father is pushed past breaking point, Eric is approached by a volunteer psychotherapist who runs an anger management group for prisoners. Torn between gang politics, prison corruption, and a glimmer of something better, Eric finds himself in a fight for his own life, unsure if his own father is there to protect him or join in punishing him. It's a bit of a mouthful, but I think it pretty well encapsulates what the movie is about. Yeah. The movie Startup was directed by David McKenzie. The only other thing I recognized from David McKenzie was a movie called Young Adam with Ewan McGregor and Tilda Swinton. It was also written by a man named Jonathan Asser. He also has a small role in the movie, it turns out. He plays a guy named Officer Edwards. But uh, Mr. Asser, which is, we just have to say, <laughs> is an interesting last name for someone who himself was a volunteer therapist at a prison in London. And he worked with some of the country's most violent criminals. And so I can only imagine how much he got picked on just because his last name is Asser. But yeah. that said, he's got a really cool credit here. Uh, the movie stars Jack O'Connell, Ben Mendelsohn, Rupert Friend, and Sam Spruill. A cinematographer is Michael Madonna, who also shot a movie called Winner's Bone, which I really liked. It was edited by Nick Emerson and Jake Roberts. I do not think that is Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, from the WWF. <laughs> I wish it was. Uh, it was Never know. Yeah, you, you just don't know. It was filmed in Northern Ireland. It had a budget of 2 million pounds or 32 million ounces, which uh, I'm going to make that joke anytime we were talking uh, British money. Thank you. Uh, it was released in the United States in August of 2014. It had seven theaters. It made a whopping total of $54,000, uh, but it played in over 300 theaters in the UK. It made uh, much closer to a million, as far as I could tell. It did, however, pop up on the Tell You Ride in Toronto Film Festivals, ton of awards and nominations on the UK award circuit. I heard about this movie primarily because I saw Unbroken, the Angelina Jolie film from last year, which also stars Jack O'Connell, and I had no clue where this guy had come from. And it turns out Startup was sort of his star-making performance, at least in the UK, and I think is probably what caught the attention of Angelina Jolie. So let's talk about this movie then, Craig. And I think we should start, oddly enough, 
at the beginning. Hmm. Because I think what's interesting about this movie to me right from the start is that they kind of just throw you right into it. There's not a whole lot of background info. Uh, in fact, I don't think we got the character's name until about 10 minutes in. And that's a right around the time when he utters his first word. Yeah, you're right. There's, there's no, uh, you, you know, you, you don't see his crime. You don't see anything involving that at all. You don't know, for instance, that I guess he's just been starred up and now he's being put in this adult facility. Like you, you don't really know that. It kind of doesn't matter, yeah. you know? I mean, yeah, you, you know less than this main character. And so you're just you're just following him, and there's sort of that natural drama of someone being in that atmosphere. You know, you you have to learn who this guy is. This is not going to be your typical hero in jail story. This is not Tim Robbins and Shawshank Redemption, where uh, he's basically a good guy. You know, you're you're fo- following someone who has pretty much earned his place in a prison. So right off the bat, I was uh, I was definitely hooked. I had to turn on the captions. I did as well. And even with the captions on, I had some trouble following it. There is no real attempt to ease you into the slang that's going on. And I like that. What's interesting is that is sort of such a heavy kind of dialect that they're using here. And yet, again, a lot of that opening is very visual and, and uh, nonverbal. And what's, it's, it's fun to kind of learn about this character in that way. Like, I think the very first shot of Eric was when he's sort of in, his, uh, in the transpo van from the one facility to the next. And... There's just this one shot where he just kind of looks up and you sort of know right there is this dude is like, <laughs> he's like a kettle getting ready to boil, you know, it's, it's just from one little thing that you see. And then what's the very first thing that he does when he gets in his cell, he makes a shiv out of a toothbrush and it's painfully obvious that he knows exactly what he's doing, you know, whether he, this is something that he's done himself before, or like, I was not quite sure where he was coming from at that point And was like, did, is this something that he just learned on TV or like, you know, who told him how to do this? Like I, you know, it's these things that I'm like watching this one. Okay. This, I should be making notes on this because if I ever go to prison, like <laughs> it, it seems like he's on top of his game here. Like I need to know what to do here. And then you sort of see all that rage uh, manifested pretty quickly in, in the movie. He beats up a guy from across the hall and then he just, you know, engages in this huge battle with the guards. And uh, one of my favorite moments is very on, on, early on here when uh, the culmination of that that scene uh, is that he clamps down on one of the guard's penis uh, through his pants. And do you remember what the guard's name is? Officer Johnson. Officer Johnson. <laughs> and it's such a it's in such an easy joke in a very non-jokey movie, but I loved it. Like it just it totally worked for me at that moment. And that was another one where I was glad that I had the subtitles on because I think you got to read it slightly before he said it, you know? It's just like I was just like <laughs> laughing to myself before he even said it. Well, and and it was obviously, yeah, played played for a joke. I mean, there was some some sort of tension cutter there. Because that whole sequence goes on oh, for a man. good while. And, and and I wanted to back up a little bit on that because yeah. the interesting thing to me about the way that's played is he beats this guy up. And, I mean, he's ready to to stomp this guy's head into the ground Yep, and basically end him. But he stops himself. Maybe this is more of a question to you. But, I mean, he he's stopping himself because he's realizing this guy wasn't trying to do anything to him. Like the guy basically sort of sort of woke him up or something, startled him, and yep. so he just went after him. And I wasn't sure. I had a moment there too where I'm like, is he actually asleep or is he faking being asleep? Because you sort yeah. of sense that like, okay, the Cobra's getting ready to strike uh, bef- yeah. right before he does. 
But then, yeah, he stops himself, and I was like, oh, no, I guess maybe he literally was asleep, and this is just part of what you're seeing is, again, like this guy that's been institutionalized, basically, and this is his sort of, like, his knee-jerk reaction to being woken up by something other than an alarm clock is to, yeah. to, you know, do all but kill a guy. Um, and then he does seem somewhat regretful, uh, maybe not that he hurt the guy, but that, that he was possibly about to kill him, and, like, he definitely does not want that. But then again, it's like it's so interesting throughout this movie is when you see a guy do something like this, he immediately moves on to the next state. The guards are coming. You know, he, he definitely has a plan ahead of time. I, I liked the payoff of the, the, all the baby oil that he had. Yeah. Uh, you see him put him on the shelf early on. You're like, well, that's a lot of baby oil. It's a great little sequence to kick off that whole thing. It is. And actually, this will bleed into my next uh, kind of area that I wanted to talk about. It's like I did want to talk about the environment of this prison, specifically because I think one of the real difficulties of telling a story set in a prison in 2014, 2015 is how the hell you don't repeat everything from every other movie that's set in a prison that we've seen by this point. And in fact, uh, the baby oil thing was something that to me was a little bit familiar from the movie Bronson, which I don't know if you've seen or not. It's, uh, I haven't seen that. And I, I don't remember if it was baby oil or maybe like Vaseline, but yeah, they grease themselves up uh, as the guards are coming so that the guards have difficulty holding on to them. In that first 30 minutes of this movie, were there other movies, prison movies specifically, that you thought of as far as either similarities or that this was doing something different. And and did it ever kind of butt up against you of having all this stupid information of all these other Shawshank and all these other movies? I don't know. It just it, it, I felt like at times it made it difficult for me to watch this movie a little fresh, you know? Uh, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the movie. I think it, it stayed true to what it was trying to do and, and really kind of saw it through, I feel like. But, but I did have that feeling toward the end that, you know, this is not necessarily a movie I'm going to remember, you know, 10 years from now. I'm going to yeah. think back on when I saw Startup. Because, yeah, I mean, honestly, the, I guess the closest comparison I could, I could make to it would be the, the, the HBO show Oz. And, it's, and it, I mean, it's definitely not a perfect comparison. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you've seen a lot of prison movies, this one is not going to be like something you've never seen before. Well, and I think that's that's part of what's really challenging when you think about it from a writing standpoint is you do have a responsibility to create something that's believable and real. And so if guys in every single prison <laughs> are throwing baby oil on them, like if this is a thing that actually happens, yeah, it should be in more than one movie, you know, and the shower scenes sure. and all these other sort of like that are kind of common prison tropes now as far as movies are concerned. Well, apparently, you know, dudes do stick cell phones up their butts and like you know so i might remember that 10 years from now i might remember that scene a couple other ones that i thought of were american history x which obviously is not entirely set in a prison but you know edward norton does go to prison and there's a bit of learning to better yourself and control your rage while you're there. It's also obviously one of the movies that broke him as a star uh, the same way that I think, you know, this movie has done somewhat for Jack O'Connell. And also the movie Hunger, uh, which was by Steve McQueen, who directed 12 Years a Slave. That's also set in Ireland, and it stars Michael Fassbender. Really, really interesting movie. If nothing else, when you're looking at, at these sort of prison movies as something that's of cinematic importance, they do seem to be things that are good for launching actors' careers. The prison setting is an interesting world no matter what. And if you can pull it off with some sort of realism, 
you know, if it's not just completely trite, if it's not completely unbelievable, then generally it's, it's, I'm very interested in seeing that world and, and how it plays out and how it works. Uh, not unlike, you know, mob movies, the way you see how these organizations work, like how right. do they, how do people survive? What are the day-to-day functions, you know, that are just completely alien to us who are, who have never been to prison? I had to bail a friend out one time. <laughs> okay. But nothing serious. Right. And did it look anything like this? No, no, not at all. No. Yeah. I, I actually, I interned on a film that shot in a prison. It was also not, it didn't look anything like this place either. It was very sort of, um, it looked like a school cafeteria in a lot of ways. Whereas actually, I kind of like the way that they designed this prison. You know, there's a lot of yellow that they use and it's got these weird bright lights that, um, I don't know, they feel like they belong outside, mm-hmm. which is, I'm sure, part of, you know, just the thing of being a prisoner is that you're, you're never out of the light. I also think I've never seen a prison where they just let dudes play pool <laughs> and have a pool table and a ping pong table in the middle of the hall, which seems like a terrible, terrible idea to me. Yeah, especially the pool cues. Yeah, it seems yeah. Yeah, a little bit dangerous. Or just somebody you know, picking up a ball and like throwing it at your head sure. like, to kill you in a, in a heartbeat. I also, I got to say, as much as like this, this feels like a real prison to me, there were times where I'm just like, are, are the guards in a different town? Or where are these people? You know, it seems like every act of violence in this thing, every big scene, it's like six minutes before any guard gets anywhere near these people. Especially, I actually thought that exact thought, uh, not until the end, but there's that bit where, where Neville is, just seems to be wandering around the jail by himself. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, they, they did sort of, I guess, set up that a lot of, of the guards left or something. Like, wow, you're, you're, you're just really spending a lot of time just wandering around by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we're going to talk about the end, let's, uh, you want to break it down? Let's break it down. Looking at this from a structural standpoint, I think the first act of this movie is basically everything that leads up to the revelation that Neville is Eric's father. I think the audience maybe learns this before it's made public to the rest of the prisoners, you know, specifically in that group with the bomber and the other guys in there. And because I think it's like once that's kind of out there among the other guys, that kind of changes how they see Eric and how the movie flows a little bit from that point. And I feel like that didn't happen until like 25, 30 minutes in this movie, although I can't quite remember and I didn't write it down. But I don't know. What do you think? Am I on the right track here? I think you're right if, in fact, that is when that happens. Okay. It wasn't I'm, in the first five minutes, okay? <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Okay. Uh, and, it, I mean, it's funny you say that because I don't remember – I can't remember the moment that that happened either. Well, and it was, it was very subtle. I mean, I think it was just Neville was sort of like leading – you know, he wanted Eric to go to this group in the first place. And then, you know, he has, obviously has a mixed reaction to it later on. But uh, I think that's kind of when it comes out around then. I mean, we did. We didn't learn it in the yard, right? Like it wasn't when no, they were out uh-uh. there, because that's when he first goes and talks to him. And all I was yeah. thinking was, oh, this is this is a guy who runs the joint. Exactly, yeah. and that's not even the case. Actually, there's a guy above him. Right. But uh, after this, I for me the midpoint again involves Eric and his and Neville, his father. I think that's when Eric discovers that his dad has basically been a homosexual in prison. That there's that scene where the the guy that that's Neville's, I guess, cellmate 
I think he just kind of briefly touches Neville's knee and then, you know, Eric looks at him and it's like, you know, it's all he needs to know. He doesn't say anything. He gets up and he walks out. Again, to me, that felt like a seismic shift in this situation in this prison. Mm-hmm. It gives Eric something else that he needs to deal with, something mm-hmm. else that he's really going to have to process because this is clearly not something that he would normally accept. Absolutely. And then I think the second act kind of ends when uh, with the attack in the shower. Have you seen Eastern Promises? Yes. The, the other nude fist fight. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, again, if you haven't seen the movie, you know that this what you're going to get into some serious male nudity fight scenes uh, <laughs> in this movie. And, and in fact, it's a very big structural moment in the movie, you know, because I think after that, it's it's that's game on. He kind of he goes after Dennis, who is the long haired gentleman who, you know, is kind of controlling things and throws him off the second floor balcony. Again, it, it sort of sets everything in notion then with his father because after that point, the, the stakes become increased because he's just pissed off the one dude in prison that you do not want to piss off who's not right. a guard. And Neville knows that no matter what this guy Dennis says, his son is in serious jeopardy. Well, and let me ask this question. This is sort of to break that moment down because, and maybe I'm misremembering, but we have the nude fight. Yes. And the guy who's trying to strangle him tells him, Django. Jago. Jago. So then he goes and cuts up Jago, and Jago says that it's Dennis? Yep. And then he goes up to Dennis. Mm-hmm. Does he throw him off the balcony right then? Dennis gives him that whole talk about, like, if you have a problem, come to me and we'll f- work it out, because I like a, a quiet wing. I think it's at the end of that scene, though. There's something that, like, gets him okay. out into the, uh, or either Neville comes in, but there's something that takes him back out into the hall and well, actually, because Jago comes running up in there, and then you know, uh, Dennis and Dennis and, says, "Did you tell him?" Yeah, and they yeah, had that sort of have that me. thing. And then I think, yeah, I think it happens pretty much right after that. I don't, I don't know. Okay. I don't remember another scene between that. And, and once again, Dennis is a character who you know very little about. Basically, you know, you just sort of get a kind of clear surface level picture of who this guy is, and you know, he's got some really right. interesting lines and stuff like that. It's not to say that he's just wafer thin and uninteresting, but. He's a minor player who has a big part in, in the story of this. And then from that, I think, you know, your, your third act through the resolution is the entirety of that, you know, insane fight with Neville uh, that ends mm-hmm. with them in the isolation. And you've got the father kind of breaking down and pleading to the guards um, to get him out of there. I don't know, Craig. I, I sense that maybe we're not on the same page here, but I, I loved the end of this movie. I mean, everything from that, as, as soon as Eric went after his dad, like it just, to me, it just ramped up and took off. And I did not know where this thing was going. And uh, I really thought the performances were really just impressive. And there's some little things I can nitpick, but again, I just, I did not see this conclusion coming. And it really, really worked for me. It was really well done. The whole thing with them sort of, Putting the heads together kind of is a callback to earlier when they're fighting and they're kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, kind of smashing heads against each other in a way. I'm, no, I mean, his, his last line to Eric, I won't even blow it. That'll be the one non-spoiler thing that I'll do <laughs> because it's just, man, it's, uh, whew, it's good. I, I just go back to the whole thing where, where Neville seems to be roaming freely around the prison. Right. Which allows him to do a couple things uh, in the prison at the end that was kind of like, all right. I mean, it was the kind of thing yes. where you just, you kind of accept it. You're just like, all right, you know, I, I've come this far and I'm really invested in these characters. So 
I'll go for it. But I just I had that little question that kind of bugged me. Well, and I think maybe actually that is why it seems like the guards are in a different town. Is <laughs> because when it happens at the end, it's like I didn't even by that point I was just like, okay, I guess they're just not around. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> I don't know where those dudes are. Here he is. He's knocked out this poor guy named Selfie, which I just I love that Selfie. character so much. Yeah. It's this poor guard who's like trying to be you know kind of cool with the prisoners, and you know he kind of pays a big price for it there at the end. But yeah, Neville does. A lot happens um, from the moment where he steals the guard's keys and, and gets out of there in a way that, yeah, in a different movie, I think you would absolutely just completely roll your eyes at that. This, okay, this yeah. is real. like he's going to knock the guard over the head and steal the keys like, you know, this is Scooby-Doo or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it worked for me because I was, you know, I was emotionally invested in in this dad and his kid. You know, it's... um. I think it is a testament to those characters and that performance that, that something like that did not completely melt down the movie. I think what might help the suspension of disbelief there is, is sort of uh, maybe what happens in, in Aliens, for instance, the end of Aliens, where you have this, basically this child Newt. and you have this parent. And so you will sort of accept that this parent might take on somewhat superhuman abilities mm-hmm. because their love and their worry for this kid, they will do anything for this kid. And and you want them to. You want them to do what no one else can do. Right. And 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 not care about the consequences because they have to save this child. So I think that's that's really what helps. Yeah. It is and especially in a movie where Neville has done so much wrong by his child and, you know, by being, you know, a bad example of a parent, uh, let alone a man. And so, yeah, like that moment is, is, is definitely it's his redeeming moment. And I think what surprised me is that I did not realize I was rooting for Neville. And so, I don't know, it just, I, I thought it was a really interesting culmination. It, it's a pretty, I think, traditional structure when you really kind of look at what's going on in this movie. It's like, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up something like Aliens, because it is kind of like that. If you look at the guards, and in fact, you know, there is that one guard, the guy that ultimately is kind of leading uh, the attempt to hang Eric who really is just kind of a surface baddie, you know? There's not much mm-hmm. else to that dude. Um, and in fact, I don't know why he felt like he needed to kill this kid, you know? Except, yeah, he, he just sort of had a desire to from the beginning. I, I, honestly, I kind of chalked it up to how Eric basically humiliated him at the beginning uh-huh. by foiling his whole plan to get him. The, 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 the moment that ended up with Eric holding Officer Johnson's Johnson... In his mouth. <laughs> Teeth. And, and who, who, who was that guy? Was he the warden? Or was the woman the warden? No, I got the sense that the, the guy was kind of the warden equivalent. Uh, okay. And that the woman was, was perhaps a, a more of a clerical, uh, that's probably not the right word, but more of an administrative position who's, you know, maybe she's overseeing. Like the president s- of the Several prison prisons, yeah. Um, right, right. And that kind of reminds me too of, you know, so, so he's operating uh, from a place of anger. Eric definitely is. It seems like Neville always has, and that's probably where Eric learned it. And uh, and even Mr. Balmer, the guy who's trying to teach everybody not to lose their shit, right? He chokes the warden at some point because the warden is is just completely provoking him, just trying to get rid of him, right? Which it seems like it it works, right? I think that is the last time that we see that character, right? Yeah, when he's choking yeah, absolutely, that guy. yeah. So uh, yeah, and, and I guess I, I just wasn't kind of thinking about it necessarily, uh, even though it's right there on the surface through the entire thing about this this anger and the use of violence and you know what it means to all these different characters, uh, wh- whether it's a, a weapon or it's uh, something they can't control. 
It is, and it's, it's so interesting. I mean, I wrote this down when I was watching it. It's, like, it's almost like watching... Uh, like you know, the animals that kind of puff up and make themselves large. Like there's always, especially in that in that classroom setting, which I think part of that was, you know, part of that was the point. Is like they were sort of doing that as a way to, uh, to kind of yeah retain some sort of uh, identity as like an aggressive person without being violent. And it, man, it's just kind of oh my god! Like I was just imagining me being in that room with those dudes, and like I, I would have just been crying and hiding. Um, you know, especially. <laughs> You know, there's that one scene where Mr. Balmer is, is literally just standing between those two dudes and, and doesn't say a word. He doesn't make eye contact with them. Again, it just made me think of, like, the things you're supposed to do when, like, a bear is in, is in the woods behind you. You know, it's yeah. just like, I was like, oh, my God, he's going to get killed. Like, what is going on here? And so, yeah, there's so much cool stuff with uh, just control and rage and, and all that stuff. It's a very prevalent theme. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, since I brought up some of these other guys, uh, let's let's get into the, the you know the actors a little bit. This is obviously a very actorly movie. Uh, yeah. If you had to pick one, Craig, uh, who gave the best performance in this movie for your taste, or the one that you'll remember the most? I hate to go with the obvious one, but it's it's Eric. It's uh, I can't remember his name again. Jack O'Connell. <laughs> Jack O'Connell. That's what we're gonna learn yeah. by the end of this podcast for you. Is is this guy's name is Jack O'Connell? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Jack O'Connell uh, put together a very believable and I mean just just thoroughly believable performance through and through. You never you never feel like this is an actor putting it on. Uh, you you might as well be watching a kid who has serious delinquency problems, which I think is very tough to pull off. I, I, I think because, so and- because it's such an actorly role, as you were saying. It's it's something you can really chew the scenery with, uh, but he comes across completely believable. Yeah, and I think that notion that he is a kid that you mentioned, that's that's crucial because, yeah, he does seem like a 19-year-old kid who's really, really been through the ringer and is just stubborn as a mule and, and extremely violent. Uh, there's, ne- I never got the sense that this is an older actor playing a younger person at all, and, and that's a real testament yeah. to what he did. I got to say, though, for me, actually, it was Ben Mendelsohn as Neville. And again, I think, you know, I touched on that a little bit with that third act and just not realizing that that's the character that I was really kind of caring so much about and rooting for in a weird way. Um, But gosh, I I just when he gets dragged into that cell by himself and like he's yelling at his son to answer him next in the next room. I I really just was like, this guy is killing it. Like, I, I don't understand he absolutely would have made my best supporting actor list last year. I think, you know, I, I love JK Simmons and whiplash, but I, I feel like Mendelssohn was right up there with him. And I don't really know this actor a lot. It's a name that I, I'm familiar with, but uh, he was in the dark Knight rises. I don't know. Do you remember? There was this like Weasley little dude named Daggett who is basically, I think he's trying to buy, or he's, he's one of those like corporate dudes who's trying to take over Wayne enterprises or he's something to do with the stock of that. And I, if I'm not mistaken, Bane breaks his neck. <laughs> but uh, he go find that clip online because he looks so different. Like, and you know, he's obviously speaking with like a Midwestern Chicago accent. I think the guy's Australian. But wow, t- total chameleon here in this movie. And actually, I- I'll say the same thing about Jack O'Connell. Like, if you do go watch Unbroken now, he's almost unrecognizable. They look like two completely different people. And he's, he's also really, really good in that. I highly recommend watching it just to see that. Uh, but there's a couple other guys that I want to mention. I thought Anthony Welsh, uh, he played the character Hassan, 
who was the bearded dude in the group who did the, you remember the guy that did the push-ups on his, like, oh, he's doing a handstand? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I know, yeah. I, I yeah. was wondering if we were going to talk about that whole training sequence, but yeah. It was a great training sequence, and I, I will talk yes. about that in a, in a little bit. I thought he was great, and I thought the, uh, the, the guy, his name is David, I think it's Ahala. He played uh, Tyrone, who was the Moroccan guy um, who mm-hmm. was in that group as well. And he was in Dark Knight, not Dark Knight Rises, and he was also in Jupiter Ascending. So he's in a couple big Hollywood movies as well. And I should I should have mentioned this with Jack O'Connell. That dude was in 300 Rise of an Empire, which I think was his first American movie. No clue. No <laughs> clue. Wow. And, no. Yeah. Got to say, I, I have no desire to see that movie, but maybe I'll check it out on mm. cable or something to see him. Yeah. Nah. Is there a favorite moment from this movie? Like what, you know, if, if you're thinking about this movie, yeah, 10 years from now, is there one little thing that's just going to stick in your head? In all honesty, the guy pooping out a cell phone. Really? I feel like I've never, I'm, I'm not going to say that's, that's, that's the shot I'm going to take with me <laughs> necessarily. But, but at the same time, it's, I mean, it's, it's done with such, nonchalance <laughs> yeah it's like yeah why is this guy here because he's got a cell phone in his butt and if i need it he's gonna poop it out for me and and it's just like yeah that's just how we do and no one bats an eye it's the most casual <laughs> exchange yeah. from uh, one orifice to the hand that yeah <laughs> you would ever see but maybe i mean maybe the other one is just the the those very last moments and the interplay between those two characters mm-hmm. uh it's really one of those great moments where a movie completely culminates in those last couple of shots and you're just reading faces and all of it means so much that it's, uh, you know, and it just sort of overwhelms the rest of the movie. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm, I'm going to say that. I'm going to say the, the last few moments with uh, Eric and Neville. Uh, there's two of those moments that I, I was not crazy about and it was the turnstile, which is at the very end. It is the last shot. They hold on it, and this is just going around and around and around the door into the cell. There's this, like, terrible squeaking noise. <laughs> and uh, I, it happened earlier in the film, too, and I was like, ah, I don't like this. What am I, why am I listening to this, like, squeaky? <laughs> to get, we get some WD-40 and put on this thing so I don't have to hear this squeaky turnstile. And then they did it again. I'm not going to say it's not poignant. I get it. I get what they're doing. And it's nice, but I could have done it without it. I don't know. It's just for me. <laughs> we also should bring up... We're talking about sounds in this movie. I don't think there's any music in this film whatsoever, is there? No, I don't think so. I think it's just the closing credits. I don't even credits. think there... Yeah. Was there music on the closing credits? There was. I remember it being very quiet. Yeah. It's kind of nice to see that. I, I, you know, it is one of those things that, like, I'm trying to think of what a score would sound like in this movie, <laughs> and all everything I come up with is just terrible, you know? Well, the other thing that I was thinking about was all of the sound in the movie is has a lot of echo in it just because of where they are uh-huh. uh you know so much of that once once fists start flying you know it's the whole soundtrack fills up with you know just reverb basically so yeah i, I wonder if a soundtrack would even fit in there you know unless you were going to just drop all the sound out and get some music in there it seems like it might be kind of tough like you, you've got all the sound you need i think so so yeah all right craig Let's talk some slang, bruv. Slang. Yeah. So we both mentioned that we watched this movie with the captions on. I, I definitely recommend it. 
I made some notes of some slang from this movie, and I want to see if you can remember or if you know what they mean. All right? You with me? I'm with you. The first one is Kangas. Uh, I think those are guards. Correct. Yeah, that's that's probably the easiest one. Yeah. The next one was Fraggle. Fraggle, as in Fraggle Rock, but not as in Fraggle Rock at all. <laughs> I remember being said, but I don't remember the, the, the point of it. Gotcha. It's a vulnerable prisoner. Uh-huh. Fraggle is a vulnerable prisoner. Uh, the next one is Guap, G-W-A-P. I don't remember that one either. It's money, bruv. Got to get your money. Uh, what about Double Bubble? I bet you remember that one because they said it more than once. Double Bubble? Double Bubble. <laughs> Man, I don't. Not chewing gum related. No. This is a two-for-one trade. And early in the movie, when Eric has just moved into his cell, he's talking to the guy across the hall. He uh, says, okay. Flame. Double bubble. But I think he's just trying to get a lighter for his cigarette. I don't know what the trade was exactly, but, you know, there it is. Uh, here's another one I thought was really interesting, and that is bacon. Man, I remember all of these being said, but I can't, now I can't remember that, the context at all. Well, it was in that training montage, which uh, – not a montage, excuse me, just a training scene. Right. And I think it's Neville said to, said to Eric, you train like a bacon. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Does that help at all? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all, right? It actually is slang for a sex offender. Oh, that's a pretty heavy thing to say to that kid. I know. I don't want to ruin bacon like that either, you know? Just regular yeah, bacon. Yeah, indeed. The next one is knots. N-O-N-C-E. Uh, I thought this meant a gay person. It is also a sex offender. <laughs> There's multiple words for pedophiles in yes. Irish prisons, it turns out. And then uh, the last one I'll throw at you is clump, C-L-U-N-P. I don't know clump. (laughs) I had no clue either. And that is actually just, what I found was it means dork or like dummy, dumbass. (laughs) I I love that, right? That's a fun one. All that slang was great. So good. But you you never know. It might come in handy. If you go abroad, (laughs) you don't know what's going to happen. You could get locked up. Break some rules and yeah. You might need it. Yeah. Love it. Just beyond that, man, uh, some really excellent use of, of cussing in this movie. F-bombs, C-bombs, all over the place. Uh, I found myself only laughing maybe once, and it was actually, it was in that big fight between Eric and his dad. And they just, when they both, they first got hauled off, and they're still just kind of yelling at each other going down the hall. Man, some really, really funny insults in that moment. <laughs> That's not at all funny. Yeah, no. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, there, there were definitely some good tension breakers in there. Uh, again, going back to that first, the way the first fight ended, but it was, it was, it was few and far between. It wasn't. You didn't have a lot of, uh, not a lot there to lighten the load, except for a cell phone. Except for the cell phone. <laughs> Craig, I think that's all I got, man. Is there anything else that you want to talk about with startup? Well, I guess the only thing I want to talk about is. I want to say this. For whatever problems I might have had with the movie, which were, which were very few, I, I really admire filmmakers who can pull off something that, that, again, feels this realistic. And how they achieve that, I don't know. I mean, every... To think, uh, you know... Every, well, and apparently they shot the whole movie in sequence. Oh, I did not know that. That's yeah. So, so a terrific idea, I think, it, for this story. Yeah, it's almost like they just went in and just lived the story beginning to end. Apparently, O'Connell did not read Jack O'Connell, did not read 
Good the job. whole script to the end. He would just read the pages for the day, and he just would go through it that way without knowing what was going to happen. Wow. Um, but yeah, uh, but still, I mean, you, you know, a, a director, that crew, they have to set up a, a, an atmosphere. They have to have a way to shoot it that's that's always going to make it feel real, and it's not going to necessarily feel staged. Uh, and I just, I don't know, hats off to them. That's something I would I would love to try and emulate with certain things. I, I think it's pretty amazing. I look forward to your prison movie. I have a bunch of ideas. <laughs> well, uh, no, I think that's that. Those are all great points. Even just, uh, you know, the violence is actually I, I thought it was staged really, really well. I was never confused. It felt intense. Again, it felt real. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it, it definitely it, always looked like it hurt. Uh, any thoughts though on why or how? A movie like this finds a larger audience because this is actually the second movie from the UK from last year, which I saw, you know, well after the fact that it came out, where I was kind of blown away. The other was Lock, uh, the movie where Tom Hardy is basically in a car the entire film. And I don't know, you know, I think that got a little more exposure probably because it is Tom Hardy. But gosh, you would love to see a movie like Startup at least, you know, I don't know, get 20 screens instead of seven or Maybe the future is really just these movies, you know, are going to live on demand. Maybe, um, and it's really hard to fucking find any sort of information to, f- you know, see how well this movie maybe did on demand. I, I kind of feel like this movie might have been a victim of just tons and tons of movies, just more and more movies being produced every year. It, it's a great movie, but it doesn't have, you know, maybe the things that it needs to really break through the group. You know, just those obvious things of a big star, you know, I mean, th- mm-hmm. there was certainly no press junket that we saw over here. No one was on any talk shows over here, you know, talking about it or anything, you know, just kind of those things that would maybe take it to a, a bigger audience. And yeah, I never saw it in a theater, um, which, which is a shame. No, I think it came out in like August. Mm-hmm. I think they released it in August, which is, you know, definitely a s- slower time of the year because uh, it's, it's hard to get a real kind of foothold. I think at that time of year for something like this, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's uh, this is one of the reasons why I'm glad we're doing this podcast. I'm glad that I saw this movie, and I would love for people to watch it as well. Yeah, we're doing the Lord's work. We are, aren't we? Jeez. We really are. We're great. All right, Sean. It's time again to find out if there's a movie out there you've never heard of. Oh, goody goody! I'm gonna um, I'm gonna read you some titles. You tell me what you what, how you feel. Uh, the first title is. Are you ready? Yes. Brewster's Millions. Yes. The next title is. <clears throat> Rocky. I have. Wait. Five. Ooh. Is that? It's not. Is that the same thing as Rocky V? Yes, Rocky. <laughs> okay. Yes, I've heard of that. Okay. <clears throat> Detroit Nine Thousand. Oh, man, I feel like uh, I want to imagine what this poster looks like just by the fact that the, the number 9,000 is in it. But I got to say, never heard of it. Fantastic. I'm going to tell you right now, Sean. Yes. When you see the poster, you will simultaneously be satisfied <laughs> and you still will never have heard of this movie. Great. So everybody check out Detroit 9000 on Netflix. When you get a chance, and then uh, come back here and uh, we'll talk at you about it. 
Bye-bye.